Thank you for joining our podcast from New Life Church Greenbrier. If you're joining us for the first time, we would love to know about it. Just text Greenbrier to 88000 and fill out one of our Connect cards. Now, let's listen in to today's message. All right, all right. Well, good morning, New Life Church. Man, it's so good to be with you guys today. Hey, before we jump into today's message, I want to ask you a question really quick. Have you ever been somewhere, maybe it is with a group of friends, maybe it's with some people that, that you just love doing life with, maybe it's with your family, and about halfway through the trip, it slows down and you just look around and you see the people that are sitting next to you, to your left and to your right, and you begin to see their stories and you begin to remember how faithful God has been. Maybe it was in their marriage, maybe it was who knows what. And it just leaves you speechless. I mean, it just brings you to a place where the only thing you can say is, God, thank you. Anybody ever experienced that? I feel that every Sunday morning that I step on this stage. I look around this room and I think about how faithful God has been to our church and to you guys. And I see your stories. I've shared this with you before. Uh, maybe it is I'm getting old that I don't remember names like I should, but I remember your stories. And I tell you what, it's, it's so encouraging. This week, we were able to get away for a few days with my pastor, Pastor Rick and Michelle Bazette, and Pastor Darren and Marcy DeLon, um, Pastor Harry, Sherilyn, and, and I, the campus pastors from around our state. Listen, New Life Church is bigger than just Greenbrier. We have 18 campuses around this state. And to be able to come together, we try to do it at least. We come together, the campus pastors, we come together um, every week. But to be able to bring our wives and, and to sit down and to hear everything that God is doing around the state of Arkansas, I'm going to tell you what, it's so encouraging. Um, the reason that New Life Church exists is this. We exist so that we can bring our friends and our family to church so that they can become fully devoted followers of Christ. Isn't that really what matters the most? I mean, at the end of the day, when you get ready to take your last breath on this earth and you look around, the most important thing to you is not going to be how much success that you obtained in your life. It's not even going to be how much money you have in your savings account. When you get ready to take your last breath on this earth, there's one thing that's going to matter the most. It's personal for you. But beyond that, it's that the people you love the most are fully devoted followers of Christ. That's our vision for this church. That's the reason that we have Life Group Launch. How many of you enjoyed Life Group Launch last weekend? Was there anybody that this was their first, Life Group Launch was their first weekend to come in? No, I know there had to be somebody. They probably didn't come back. <laughs> they come in, like, I don't know what's going on with this church, but they're crazy. <laughs> Table set up balloons. Listen, we had more life groups this semester than we've ever had as a church. But I haven't been able to, to dive into the numbers yet, but I'm, it's, it's safe to say that we have more people in our campus right now connected to a life group than we've ever had. That's a really good place to give God some praise right there. There's going to come a time in your life when you're going to look around and you're going to be in the midst of a storm and there are going to be people to your left and to your right that you met in your life group. 
And if you haven't had an opportunity to sign up, if you haven't had a chance to get connected, it's not too late. There's a booklet in every other seat. Um, it says life groups on the front of it. Um, or grow together, I believe, is what it says on the front of it. You can open that book up, and that's got a list of all of our life groups that we have this semester. We've tried to make it as simple as possible. You can actually take a, a picture of that or go to the QR code that's beside each life group and still sign up. We're just getting started. Some of them have already started meeting, but I promise you're not behind. These guys are having a blast. I came to the church yesterday, and there was a group of grown men and women running around playing duck, duck, goose on the patio. <laughs> what in the world? They were laughing. My wife um, watched, started watching this show, and maybe it was just one episode. I don't know. But she said, you need to come see this. And it was something about the people that have lived to be the oldest in their life. And they go to different countries. And, and most of it, it was highlighting people that were over 100 years old. And I'm like, what are you trying to tell me here? I mean, I'm getting old, but I'm not that old. Do you know what the common denominator was for the people that were living the longest? They did all of these studies for years and research. There was two common denominators. One was laughter. Every one of them had a common denominator that they laughed a lot. That's why I hang around the people that I hang around with. They're just weird, and I laugh a lot at them. Just kidding. But the other thing was being connected. Being connected to people around you and having life-giving relationships in your life. It's so important, guys. We're not a church with a few life groups. We're a life group church. We really need to be at this campus because the preaching ain't that good. But the life groups, they awesome. I'm telling you right now. Get in a group. Everybody say, get in a group. That's what I'm talking about. We've been in a series over the last few weeks walking through the book of Jonah. And there is so much for us to take out of the book of Jonah. Now, whether you've grown up in church or not, chances are good that you've heard about the big fish. Anybody heard about the big fish before they even came to church? But the book of Jonah has much less to do with a big fish and much more to do with a big God, a redemptive God. But the story, as we walk through these passages of Scripture, we, we come to realize that a lot of us are alike Jonah in many ways. You know, chapter 1, we see that that, that uh, Jonah's running from God. He's running from God. Chapter 1, we see God talk to Jonah. Chapter 2, we see Jonah talk to God. But chapter 3, we see God speak through Jonah. And today, that's what we're going to get to talk about. We, we looked at the importance of our decisions and the choices that we make. You see, our choices in life have consequences, and the choices and the decisions that we make in our life always has an effect on the people around us. You know, I've heard people say before, well, it's my life. I'll live my life the way that I want to live my, my life. And, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I'm the only one that it's affecting. Can I just go ahead and bust your bubble? It affects everyone around you. The choices that we make in our life, whether positive or negative, affect those that are closest to us the most. Well, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how the negative decisions that we make in our life, the negative choices that we make in our life, have a huge impact on the people around us. But today, I want to talk about a decision that we make that has a positive impact on the people around us. You see, it starts out as a personal decision, a decision that we are making ourselves. But that decision flows into many more people than you'll ever imagine. We get to see that story through Jonah. If you got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 3, and just hold tight. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. 
True repentance affects everyone around you. Let me say that again. True repentance affects everyone around you. You see, Jonah's repentance led to the repentance of the king and those in Nineveh. Listen to me. The Ninevites were wicked people, murderers, rapists, the the most evil people that you can imagine in one area. And it wasn't a small city either. Evil, man. But Jonah's repentance started something that extended well beyond Jonah. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Listen, true repentance is powerful. 2 Samuel 14, 14 tells us that like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises, everybody say devises. He devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. This is not always comfortable. What I'm talking about is a change of heart. Let me, let me tell you something, and this isn't in my notes. But I shared it last service, and I'm going to share it again. One of the greatest burdens on a pastor's heart is the people that God has called him to shepherd that are walking around thinking that they're saved when they're just sorry they got busted. I want you to let that sink in for just a second. You see, there is a difference between true repentance and just being sorry you got caught. You see, there's an earthly sorrow and then there's a godly sorrow. We're going to talk about that in a second. My prayer, my prayer for this church is that in this building isn't the last time I see you. I want to spend eternity with you. I want to see you again in heaven. But that takes a choice. And we have so many arguments. There are so many arguments that people have in the world for not truly repenting and turning from their earthly ways. There's so many. I've had so many conversations with people say, you know what, I just I don't have all the answers figured out yet. Well, let me go ahead and let you know, there's going to be some questions that surround the Word of God that you're only going to get answered when you're face-to-face with Jesus. Am I right, Olaf? But we'll go to a Razorback football game, and I'm one of the biggest Razorback fans in the room. I love my hogs. We'll go to a Razorback football game, and we'll call the hogs, Woo, pig suey. Why are you doing that? Are you doing it because you believe in the hog call, that it really has an impact on how our boys are going to play football? Or do you do it because that's what everybody in the stands is doing? We have become a society that has chosen to do whatever everybody else is doing because it's popular at the moment. And the right thing is not always the popular thing. Making the right, yes, amen. Making the right decision is not always a popular decision. If it was, everybody would be doing it. 
Listen to me. This is the truth. It's not what the world is telling you. We're going to talk about what real love is in just a moment. We have that all messed up. We, that's big time distorted. But why does true repentance matter so much to God? Well, Paul explains it this way in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Every time I read this passage of Scripture, I think about that commercial where that guy got the tattoo that says, No regrets. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't know why. I'm just sorry. It leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings what? Death. Because you see, there is a godly way and a worldly way to be sorry. If we stop short of true repentance, if we just kind of dip our toe in the water, I want to tell you what ends up happening. We lose intimacy in our relationships. We lose intimacy with our spouse. We lose intimacy with our friends. We lose intimacy with God. Do you want true intimacy back in your relationships? It's going to take true repentance. It's going to take an about face. Listen to me. We are a church full of sinners. My pastor, my pastor will tell you that there was a time in his life when he'd rather smoke weed than walk. But God, everybody say, but God. If you think I'm a pastor because I've got it all right, and I grew up on a, on a church pew, and I never made a mistake, that I never messed up, you in the wrong church because I stand before you a man that has made more mistakes than probably most of the people in this room. But God, it took true repentance in my life to get back to where God was calling me to be. We've all made mistakes. We've all fallen short. But what if we quit listening to the world and we go to the Word. Imagine the impact that it could have, not only just in our life, but the people around us. Nineveh was changed, but it started with Jonah. What's your Nineveh? Now, I'm way off my notes, but what's your Nineveh? What if it starts with you? What if you're about face? has an impact on everyone else that you're around. Imagine the people that could be changed, the lives that could be impacted. Talon Moore, I'm so proud of you. Young man, you were putting God first. And you keep putting God first, and you're going to make an impact on the kingdom of God, but you're going to make an impact on everybody around you. Adam Sutterfield, I'm proud of you. You were a crazy heathen. Almost as crazy as I was. Everybody say, but God. It takes true repentance. Repentance isn't just being sorry that you messed up. So what are the marks of true repentance in Jonah 3? Well, you have to recognize, first of all, that God will give you a second chance. And a third and a fourth and a fifth. How many of you are thankful that God gives us a second chance? How many of you are thankful that God keeps calling to us even when we don't listen? You know, something I was thinking about this week when I was preparing for this message. 
And Jonah didn't do it. But I just want to challenge your thinking for just a second. I want to say, what if? What if when the fish vomited Jonah on the ground, onto the dry land, if Jonah would have just dusted himself off and hitched a ride on the next boat that was coming by headed to Tarshish, still headed in the opposite direction of what God was calling him into, what would have happened? Well, we know what happened in Nineveh, right? I mean, we see the story, what happened in Nineveh, because he obeyed and he listened to God. He went to Nineveh. We're gonna, I don't have to spoil the story, but they believed God. They didn't just believe in a God. They believed God, and they believed God's word. But we do that, don't we? I mean, like we get in a storm, we get into a place where it seems like the weight of the world is upon us. And it's like you get to a place, and you just hit your knees, and you're like, God, if you'll just get me out of this place. If you'll just help me get through this storm, I'll never do blank again. Y'all didn't think I could do an air squat like that, did you? <laughs> I was worried about my pants for a second. They're stretchy. We good. But how many times do we do that? How many times do we pray that God will help us and get us through this season or this storm or this mistake or this tragedy or this diagnosis? And then when he gets us through it, we thumb a ride and we get right back on the same bus that took us to that place to begin with. Is that true repentance? Or is that just being sorry that you got busted? You see, it's a lot more fun as a pastor to stand up here and read you an uplifting psalm. But that's not what God's called me to do. We give the enemy too much credit sometimes. Because we serve a God of judgment as well. Now, we don't like to talk about that, do we? You see, the first time God came to Jonah, he ran. But God remains faithful. Paul says it this way. He says, 2 Timothy 2.13, he says, If we are faithless, he remains what? Faithful. For he cannot disown himself. But it wasn't just for Jonah. I mean, it wasn't just for Nineveh. It was for Jonah as well. You see, our repentance, which, by the way, is an about face. It's not just a deviation from the track. It's an about face. But Jonah's repentance was for Jonah as well. God desired a relationship with Jonah God wanted to see Jonah succeed. God had wanted to see Jonah successful. God wants to see you successful. Yes, there is a plan and a purpose and a calling for every person in this room. If you have breath in your lungs, you can rest assured that God has a plan for you. And it's not just to grow his kingdom. Yes, that's part of it. But it's for you as well. You're part of his kingdom. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to see you successful. Are you guys with me today? You know, if you look at the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, you're going to see a man that recognizes the greatness of the father's love. Luke 15, 17 says, When he came to his senses, how many of us need to come to our senses sometimes? But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
So what did the prodigal son do? He made an about face. I don't know, and, and I'm going to tell my age a little bit, but you know when I was growing up and grade school or whatever, and we began to color pictures. You know, our teachers taught us to trace the lines in whatever color that we were coloring in. Am I the only one? Am I just super old? Y'all don't, an don't answer that. But we did. And then color inside the lines. Well, when I sit down with my granddaughters and I get ready to color in a coloring book, the first thing I do, still to this day, is I, I, I color the line. I trace the line around. I look over, and they're not staying in the lines. <laughs> and it's driving me, cra driving me crazy. I'm like, I want to tear that sheet out and start over. Stay in the lines, kids. You're four and two, but you could color better than that. <laughs> you know, I wonder if how many times God has given us a fresh sheet to color our life in, and we just keep coloring outside of the lines. He just keeps tearing off a new sheet. How is it so possible? How is it possible? That he loves us so much that he's willing to give us a second chance. It takes true repentance. You have to recognize that he's willing to give you a second chance. But the next thing you have to do is you have to respond to what God's asking you to do. And verse 2 says, go to the great city. I love how God refers to Nineveh as a great city, even as evil and wicked as they were. Why is that? It's because God doesn't see us based on our circumstances. He sees us based on our potential. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. Two different times he refers to Nineveh, this wicked place, before they repented as a great city. And he tells him to proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, we miss this a lot in Scripture, but he doesn't give him the message at this moment. He just tells him to go and wait. How many of you like to wait? I hate it. <laughs> I don't even like to wait at a restaurant. How many of you have ever went to a restaurant to have dinner and the service is kind of slow and you get up and you go 30 minutes somewhere else and you wait 15 minutes, and then you wait another 30 minutes, and you could have already had dinner and been at dessert, but you just had to be in a hurry and leave. I've never done that, maybe once. Well, a few times probably. Waiting sometimes is the hardest. It is for me. When God called us into ministry for two years, all he said was prepare and reposition. I wanted more. And he didn't tell me the next step until I begin to prepare and reposition. Some of you are, you feel like you don't know the purpose in your life and you feel like you're just spinning your wheels. It may be that there's a first step that you need to take that God's called you to, and that is to repent, to turn. But you have to do that before he shows you the next step. We have to respond to what God is asking of you. Aren't you glad that God's willing to have the same conversation with you over and over and over? I know I am. Verse 4 says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 
this has been translated in English to eight words. It actually started out as five, but if you, if you study the deep, a little deeper, you'll understand that overthrow actually had two different meanings. Destruction or repentance. It was one or the other. One or the other was coming. It was either destruction or repentance. It couldn't be both. You know, Jonah was hoping for destruction for the Ninevites. These were wicked people, evil people. And honestly, Jonah just wanted God to wipe them out. And he just thought, well, okay, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to go to Nineveh. And I'm going to have a front row seat to what God's about to do to these people. And we'll follow up on his response in chapter 4 next weekend. But God had a different plan. How many people in your life, some way, somehow, maybe not even directly to you, have offended you, have hurt you? Maybe you just don't like them. And you just want a front row to their, their failure. You ever been like that? Like, man, God, just take care of them. And then you sit back and you realize that God did take care of them. There was a heart change. And they're successful. They're thriving. But God, don't you remember what they did? Don't you remember the mistakes that they made? God says, nope. As far as the east is from the west. You see, we want to carry around this a judgment stick to cast upon everyone else when what God is truly asking of us is to look within. It's a heart condition. Repentance isn't just being, I'm sorry. Repentance is an about face. Repentance isn't just kind of doing what you know God's called you to do. No, it's answering the call that he's placed on you. And it's not always comfortable. You know, judgment, it gets real when it's towards you, though. You know, we tend to prefer flipping to the New Testament or the Psalms and taking comfort in our favorite passages about God's goodness and his faithfulness and his grace and his mercy. And God is all of that. But he's also a holy God. He's a God of justice. He's a God of judgment and wrath who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, many other cities. These words and stories, they cause us to squirm a little bit, don't they? Because we feel like that they're opposite of love, but that is not true. There's a quote from Tim Mackey. He was part of the Bible Project. He said, the opposite of judgment is not love. The opposite of judgment is apathy, not doing anything about injustice. Listen, if I saw my kids playing with knives, hey, buddy, if I saw my kids playing with knives and fire, and I didn't do anything, you wouldn't think, oh, what a loving father. If I walked in and my son was trying to juggle with razor blades when he doesn't even know how to juggle, you wouldn't think, oh, what a loving dad. If I just backed up and said, oh, I'm just going to love him through it, you would call DHS and pull my man card. Especially my dad card. 
We give the enemy too much credit sometimes. Sometimes God is allowing you to go through a season because he has something prepared for you on the other side of that season that you will not be able to handle if he doesn't take you through this one. But we don't want to talk about that sometimes. Now, I'm not saying every bad thing that happens is from God. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that God will allow you to go through some storms sometimes. Especially if it means bringing you home to him. Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen says all scripture. Everybody say all scripture. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. How many of you like to be corrected? And training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want us to read this one more time. If you got your Bibles, I want you to highlight this. I want you to mark it. I want you to get this in your soul. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly, everybody say thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Rebuking means that I'm leaving the path of righteousness. But correcting means it shows me how I'm supposed to get back on path. Listen, Scripture doesn't leave me stranded and away from God. But when I repent, I find grace in the hand of God to guide me back to the path of righteousness. And this is normally, honestly, normally requires me to do something. Not normally, it will require you to do something. It's going to require you to think differently, act differently, speak differently. You're going to have to make an about face. That's what happened to Nineveh. Verse 5 says, The Ninevites believed God, and a fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, we have a week of prayer and fasting each year. We just come out a week of prayer, but in January we do a week of prayer and fasting. I've never asked you guys to let your dogs fast for a week. If I did, there'd be a riot on my hands. Am I right? Y'all being quiet. Y'all know there would be. You'll go without eating, but little Fluffy, he's got to eat. <laughs> Total surrender. Total submission. That's what it took. It was an even if kind of faith is what they had. You know, I spoke a message several years ago that was an even-if faith and a what-if fear. And I may bring it back one day, but you see, God hasn't called us to have fear. No, he's called us to have an even-if faith in him. That even if it doesn't turn out the way that I think it's going to or the way that I think it should or the way that I expect it to, I'm still going to trust in him. Because his plan is better than my plan. How many of you agree with that? The rest of you, we need to talk. But what are the marks of true repentance? Well, you recognize that you have a second chance. You respond. But this one's very important. You have to get off the throne. And I'm not talking about the porcelain. I'm working on my dad jokes. Listen to me. Repentance 
takes true humility. I have watched pride destroy more people than any other sin. And it's one of those deals that you can just see. I mean, it's just as clear of how God wants to bless whatever it is that they're working on or wherever they're working towards. God's, God's hand is upon it, but pride prevents them from total surrender. I got it. It's my life. I'm going to do it my way. But this king, he responds completely different than you would have expected. We read in verses 6 through 8, it says, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Total submission. Let everyone call urgently on God. And let them give up their evil ways and their violence. You see, the king removed everything that had exalted himself. That's hard to do sometimes. When was the last time you completely humbled yourself? Verse 9, he says, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Even if. Who knows? Even if. You know, the good news is, is that we don't have to just hope today. I shared this last service. You know, there are people around this world in countries right now that come together underground in hiding just to be able to open the Word of God one time and read one verse together because they understand the magnitude and the power. And it's at our fingertips. It's on our phones. If this week has taught me anything, it's how precious life really is. And we are not promised tomorrow. And it can happen in the blink of an eye. Listen. <laughs> Jesus said there's something greater than Jonah. That's here and it's me. You know, Jonah traveled from Israel to Nineveh. Jesus traveled from heaven to earth. Jonah traveled unwillingly. Jesus, he traveled willingly. And Jonah came out of a fish. Jesus came out of a grave. And Jonah came with a word from God. And Jesus came as the word of God. Jonah was a king, or Jonah saw a king get off a throne and repent. Jesus was the king of kings who got off his throne so we could all repent. 
and see Jonah saw a revival for a nation. And Jesus sees revival for every tribe, every tongue, every generation, and every nation. Here in just a moment, we get to celebrate another decision for repentance in water baptism. We had one the first service, it was so special. And it's a celebration. But if God chose that today was the last day that I got to speak to you, there's something that I want to say. And that is, I don't want you walking around some superficial idea of who God is or walking around deceived thinking that you're saved just because you were sorry that you got busted in the act of sin one day and you say God I'm sorry and you're continuing to live your life running from God no the one thing that I want to say to you is this It takes true repentance. And that comes from here. It is a heart change. It's a decision that says, I've been going this way. I've been trying to do it on my own. And I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. But I'm making the decision today to turn from that and to repent. There's a big difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. But if you're here this morning and you've never experienced what godly sorrow is, and you haven't made that decision to truly repent and to turn, I want to give you that opportunity. I want to ask everyone to please bow your heads. And I want you to make this personal for just a second. You see... There are three groups of people in this room right now at this moment. The first group are the people that have made the decision to invite Christ into their lives and forgive them of their sins. And they're not perfect. They're still making mistakes, but they're growing daily in their relationship with the Lord. And they're getting into the Word, the living Word, the living water that Garth talked about. And they don't have all the answers because I'm going to break it to you, church. There are going to be questions that you are not going to have the answer to until you are face-to-face -face with Jesus. That's group one. The other group of people that are in this room are, are the ones that they don't understand what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. They've never made that decision to truly repent and to turn and to follow him. And, and I'm going to tell you, heaven is a real place and so is hell. And we don't like to talk about it because it's not the warm and fuzzy feeling that we get. 
but it's the truth. And I wouldn't be much of a pastor if I didn't tell you that you have a choice and a decision that you're going to have to make. You see, we serve a God that loved us so much that he gave us free will to choose whether or not to follow him. And there are going to be people that are going to make the choice not to follow him. That's the other group. And then the third group are those that maybe you made a decision early on in life. And for some reason, you just took the wrong exit. Somewhere along your journey, you read a billboard that said, this is a better way. And you just took that exit. But you know that it's time to come back. You know that it's time to come home. Listen, there, there's no more important message. There's no more important question. There's nothing that I can say to you that's more important than the decision that each one of us have to make about this topic. And I want to give you that opportunity. Yes, we're going to celebrate in water baptism, but you're not saved because you're water baptized. The Word of God says that we are to go public with our decision to follow Him. The first thing that takes place is you have to make a personal decision. Jesus says, I am the only way. There's not another way. It's only because of His sacrifice that He made on the cross that you and I have an opportunity to get a second chance. That's the only reason. Thank you for joining us today. If you made a decision for Christ or could use prayer for any area of your life, please let us know. All you have to do is text Greenbrier to 88000 and click on Connect Card. Be sure to join us next week.